as a human being, when you're struggling with something, one of the most affirming, helpful things that someone can tell you is, wow, that's hard. Hello, and welcome to ADHD Essentials, part of the ADHD Rewired Podcast Network. I'm your host, Brendan Mahan. I'm a former teacher and mental health clinician turned ADHD coach, trainer, and consultant. I can be reached at brendan at ADHDessentials.com. Here at ADHD Essentials, we help families develop the skills and knowledge needed to better manage attention deficit hyperactivity disorder. Visit ADHDessentials.com for more details. What's up, team? As you know, ADHD Essentials is part of the ADHD Rewired Podcast Network. Make sure you're checking out all of the other shows. ADHD Rewired with Eric Tivers, Hacking Your ADHD with Will Curb, ADHD Diversified with MJ, and The ADHD Friendly Lifestyle with Moira Maben. Also, coming up this Tuesday, May 11th, we have a live Q&A with all of the hosts of each of those shows. That Q&A will take place at 1.30 p.m. Eastern Time. Go to ADHDrewired.com slash events for more details. This Wednesday, in the ADHD Essentials Facebook community, I will be posting the official rules for the scavenger hunt that I've been talking about. Prizes will include a free Lego set, and it's a big one, a free consultation with me, as well as a handful of other things that have yet to be determined. I think you'll find it a fun and rewarding experience whether or not you win. Welcome to the show. Today, we're talking to Mary Dibinga. Mary is a high school English teacher and an ADHD parent. In this episode, Mary reflects on the effects COVID has had on her students and her teaching. She discusses what being a parent during COVID taught her about teaching, learning loss and huge leaps forward, why we should intentionally teach our kids how to face hard things, and the significant differences in the challenges faced by her students during this global pandemic. All right, let's get rolling. Well, my name is Mary Dubinga, and I am a high school English teacher, and I teach in Boston Public Schools. And I'm also a mom with ADHD, and I have one child with ADHD and one child not with ADHD. We've spoken outside of the podcast about what it's been like for you navigating education and teaching during a global pandemic. How has that worked for you? So for me, I, th- I think there, there are three different things that are very relevant in it. So there's sort of like, what was it like for me as a teacher? And what was it like for me as a mom? And then I, I think there's also parts of it that what was it for, like for me as a Black woman in this pandemic? And I think... Starting with me as a teacher, it's just like in the beginning we had, it's hard to even remember back to then in some ways because we've been doing this for long and things have changed so much. But I just remember in the very early days that we had no idea how long this was going to last, right? And really thought that this was going to be shorter. And I just, as a teacher, I just remember the last day being at school and sort of trying to figure out how to give our students everything that we would normally give them in the classroom and sort of send it home with them. 
it just those first couple of weeks of feeling so confused and so disheartened and so just worried about how things weren't working, feeling like kids weren't learning very well and we didn't know how to teach on Zoom and parents didn't know how to help and just watching online with all kinds of parents saying that they felt like they were homeschooling and as a teacher working all the time trying to do things. I felt like there was sort of a, a disconnect in the beginning where it reminded me of that experience of when somebody's a, a brand new parent and they have a, a brand new baby. And the first time they leave the house and somebody comes to babysit, which is usually like a grandparent or somebody, right? And the parent tries to leave a list of like what you do to take care of this child. And they have this like crazy list of routines that these new parents have. Like you have to rock the baby exactly this way and do this thing. And it's things that like, first of all, no one can replicate. And second of all, is not what's going to work when a different person's there. And I felt like that's what happened when we sent kids home to school. If teachers thought that we were being super helpful by giving all of these resources and sending out all of these things. And then at home, families were just completely overwhelmed with all of these different logins and the site and this, and then put it here. And then at the same time, it just wasn't helpful and wasn't what was going to work in that context. And then I felt like it took us a really long time to get into any sort of routine of, of what actually was going to work and really understanding that probably what people needed had more to do with slowing down than speeding everything up. And I feel like as a mom, I, I think I'm so grateful that I was a parent during the pandemic at the same time as teaching because I, I, it taught me so much about my teaching to see the parent end of things and see what was coming home from my kids' school and see them having two different experiences because they're different ages, but they're both in elementary school. We have a fifth grader and a third grader. You know, at that time, they were a fourth and a second grader. Um, and then realizing how important it was, the things their teachers were doing just to build community um, and just to give us a sense of what was normal and okay. And then school was still school. Right. And it's still that greeting the kids every day that was so important. It was still that connection. It was still showing that I know them that was really important. And then going into the, and then, you know, as things progressed, it was just seeing a lot of just the disparity started to show more and the way things were affecting some communities and differently than others. And just having both deaths in my own family and lots of families that I knew um, and then have other families where things weren't nearly as affected and just watching how things went in the district of Boston and then watching how things are going outside of Boston and just very different responses in different places and very different needs was really hard to watch and really hard to feel as a teacher that I have responsibility to try to help my students through. And then this year was a lot about again, still trying to figure things out, but how do you start? I remember just having so much fear about starting the year um, with students that I was only going to meet on Zoom at the beginning of the year. Now where, where I feel like things are with me is just feeling that, that uh, one thing I, I wish a lot as a teacher is that I could help families to see that there are so many different ways that people are going through things. I know for me as a parent last year before I was homeschooling for real. Um, and I, I take a little bit of issue with parents who are like, I'm homeschooling when really their kids are virtual learning. Cause it's not the same experience. It is a very different experience. <laughs> um, and I, I would say, I would argue it's actually also a completely different experience than families that are doing online schooling that was designed as online school. Yeah. 
I right. completely agree. None of it's none of it's the same. Yeah. Um, but last year when my kids were having stuff sent home by their teachers, one of the things that I noticed was some of the stuff was like, this isn't even worth doing. Like this is just busy work to make it seem like something is happening with school was my impression. And then there was other stuff that was like, I don't know how they're going to do this. I taught this stuff and I'm having trouble figuring out what you want, let alone my kid. And certainly there was stuff in the middle that was just right. You know, there was absolutely some, it was kind of a Goldilocks scenario. There was definitely stuff that was just right, but there was also a good amount of stuff on either side of that. Did you kind of find the same thing and did, how did that affect your teaching? Yeah, I think for both as a, a teacher and a parent, I was seeing a lot of that. And I think the other thing that I was seeing was just there was a lot of confusion about what exactly is the role of school right now, right? But I think that the other piece of that that's so important is I, is I think it brought out a, a, a bigger conversation that we needed to be having anyway about what is the actual correct relationship between school and home mm-hmm. um, and what happens when we're, you know, what do we expect to be happening at school and what do we expect to be happening at home? And just in the past, there were all kinds of students who didn't do homework, right? And especially, I'm like, even looking at my own history, I was a very successful student. I did not really do homework. I got away with being great at tests and great at, you know, papers and the big things that teachers did. And I got away with a lot of not necessarily getting homework done. And right now in the pandemic is the only time when I've seen schools actually try to get every single student to do work at home. And one of the things that I expect coming out of the pandemic that I'm really curious about the effect of when we have school in person for everyone again, right? It it is for a lot of people, but not everyone yet, is just what is homework going to be like in the future now that every child has had the experience? And I know there are some who, who didn't also, I know there are some who just have not been doing school. But so many kids who had never done homework before have now actually had the experience of sitting down in their house and getting some work done somewhere. There's a spot in their house, which was school for them at some point. And I'm just wondering what the effect of of that is going forward. Like, do parents understand school better? Does school understand home better? I wouldn't expect that we have that completely figured out that it's, you know, it took one year and now we're, we're experts. But I really hope that it opened a conversation where we're actually wondering more because I think in the past before teachers just sort of sent things home and didn't really think about what the home experience of trying to get that done was. And I think a lot of times parents sent kids to school and didn't really know very much about what was going on in the classrooms. And now we've had parents who've watched Zoom class, right? And seen the dynamic between classmates and teacher in the little piece of that that they get. Hiding inside of that is a question that I've been wondering and will probably continue to wonder and and the jaded pessimistic side of me, which doesn't show up in this podcast all that often, but does exist, kind of rears its ugly head a little bit when I think in this direction, because I'm like, what are the lessons that we're going to take from COVID as it relates to schooling and education? And I kind of am afraid that there aren't going to be any. Like, I'm kind of afraid that as soon as we can go back to what the model used to be, that's what we're going to do. Despite the big question of, what is the role of teachers? Is the role of teachers to teach or is it to, and I don't mean this insultingly, babysit? Right. Because a massive reason why schools have reopened is not to teach kids because kind of you can do that virtually. It's to give parents a place to put their kids so parents can go to work. And that it's important that we recognize that. And there's a second piece there, which I've seen with 
parents who I think feel really, really helpless when they're trying to help their kid at home and they don't know what to do, which is there's also sometimes a mentality of I'm going to send my kid to school and school is just going to take care of things, right? right? Like parents, especially, I worry about it um, with some academic stuff, but also with mental health stuff that I'm seeing kids who have been really suffering this year. And some of that is just the isolation of things. And some of that is the trauma of being afraid all the time, which doesn't get fixed by sending them back to school. And even the stuff about isolation, there's so much that needs to happen to address it. It isn't just like we turn back the clock and now things are back to normal and everything's fine. There's a way in which I think both sides, parents and teachers, kind of like to just sort of wish that the other would just sort of take care of things and not realize that we have to work together on it. Yeah, because we're a team. We are a team. And a lot of times we don't know how to be a team. And truthfully, things aren't set up well for us to be a team. I mean, if you look at a typical high school and if I, I'm not at capacity this year, but if I'm at capacity, I could have 155 students and there is no way that I can do a good job communicating and individualizing with 155 families. Mm -hmm. That's just not human. Students suffer as a result of that, right? And we, it designing a system that's really trying to meet families where they are. And then let's get to the neurodiversity of things when we have kids who really need things to be individualized, that's different. But the other problem in like this mentality of, of can we get, just get things back to normal is also, I, I was really frustrated with, with sometimes I would hear colleagues say things about wanting to get things back to normal because they're like, that kid can't learn online. That kid can't do work on Zoom. And that was terrifying to me too, to give up on that completely for students because so much of the world is moving to remote work. Mm -hmm. Right. And if we say that a kid is incapable of doing remote work right in school, then we're kind of deciding that that kid's going to be incapable of preparing for remote jobs after. And also connected to that, man, I punch up. I don't kick down. That's kicking down. That's like that kid can't learn. You haven't figured out how to teach that kid yet. You have to work harder, figure it out. And work harder is really hard because. I mean, I think the predominant feeling that I have as a teacher of this year is just a, a total feeling that I've been giving every ounce of energy I have and more and failing utterly in so many respects. And I have a lot of successes. Like I can go through and, and things that I felt like were really special and wonderful. I think there were ways in which my Zoom classroom sometimes brought us closer together, just like seeing people's families and pets and, and, and even just the sense of being in a crisis together of you get to stop and really check in with people in a way that you don't think to in, in the everyday. So I don't want to throw it all as, as awful, but just there was so much need and so few resources and so much scrambling to try to figure out what we were doing as we were going, that it was just this constant feeling of, of, of inadequacy. And that's fair. I, I don't want to I don't want to minimize the trauma that teachers have gone through on this. I just get really bothered when someone gives up and right. says exactly that kid can't learn like you've, you you got to work different, maybe not harder, but different. You got to keep working at it and try to figure out what that kid needs. I think that as a society, we have a lack of compassion mm -hmm. in multiple directions. Right. And a lack of a growth mindset and learning mindset towards each other, right? And just like schools need to be places where we are constantly in an inquiry mindset and learning and figuring things out. And we need to be okay with telling families that we're figuring it out, mm -hmm. right? And involving them as co-inquirers, people who are helping us figure it out together, thinking partners, right? Like there needs to be this conversation that's happening between the two to, to figure out 
not just how this one kid is going to learn, but really what is going to work best for everybody. And how do we have a school system that is actually truly offering multiple pathways to the same knowledge, right? How do we actually not just accommodate things here and there, but, but have a system that's designed, you know, at its core and we call it universal design, but how do we have classrooms that are really designed to let kids learn in multiple ways? And I think this year has really pushed schools that were really set in their ways to at least have to try something new. And to, to your point earlier, it's just, I, my, my deep hope is that we don't just turn things right back to the way that they used to be. And that we, now that we've started on a path where we've had so many teachers who did not know how to use all of these tech tools can suddenly do all kinds of amazing things that they couldn't do before, right? And now that we've had all this amazing tech learning and now that we've learned that maybe, maybe it isn't actually important that we have every minute of every day set out in a certain way. Maybe kids can handle a little bit more independence on certain things that we can then take that with what we had before and try to figure out like what's the best going forward. But in that, I think one of the other things that, that, that I think comes into this and that we haven't mentioned yet that I think is really the elephant in the room of that conversation is a whole narrative that's going around right now that's talking about learning loss and talks about how we have to get kids in back in school and we have to get them caught up because they've had a year of, of lost learning. And that just makes me both really sad and really angry because if you buy into the idea that we've had this year of learning loss, and that is not to say that there have not been significant things that kids did not learn how to do well this year, right? Because we were figuring out so many things and because of all of the things that got in the way and because of trauma and because of lots of things, right? Um, at the same time that learning loss happens in, in different ways. I think we're pretending that learning loss is new and we're pretending that learning is very linear and that every kid reaches this benchmark at this point. And I think what we know, and especially parents with kids with ADHD or on the spectrum have really learned how much our kids can be way behind on one thing and then suddenly make this huge leap forward when they're ready for it. And that a kid who is disinterested in school is going to continue to fall behind. And I've seen a lot of models right now um, where schools are talking about, well, let's have summer school to add more for the kids who are falling behind. And I'm just, and talking about summer schools that are more sort of like drilling skills, right? Um, and just, I know kids already who I work with who have had bad experience on Zoom for the year and just sort of say, well, I just kind of want to cut my losses and the kids are telling me things like that they just want to repeat the grade because they just don't want to do more of anything. And schools are doing lots of things. Well, we have this opportunity for you and that opportunity for you, you know, to catch up. And it just runs the danger of making schools places where kids have had negative experiences and don't want to be and don't want to come back to. That brings me back to homework. Back when I thought this past school year was going to be kids in school like normal, right? Like back to normal for this year that we're in right now, that's wrapping up. So the year before the beginning of COVID, I was like next year, meaning this year, teachers better not assign homework because all it's going to do is echo back to all of this virtual learning trauma of COVID stuff. I think it's a terrible idea. And then this year became what it became. And like that so much for that. Thought. Right. <laughs> but but even moving forward, I'm like, until high school, we know homework doesn't really do that much anyway in terms of learning. 
people like to pretend that it's a deal, but all the studies I've ever read are like, yeah, elementary school into middle school. Eh, it's not really reinforcing a whole lot. It's mostly learning the skill of doing how to do homework. Right. Which, okay. So even looking at next year, I'm like, why, why do we have to do, what, do we need to do a lot of homework? And, and what you're saying with like these kids who are not enjoying their time in school right now right. and potentially becoming school resistant or school phobic or school traumatized or whatever they are on that spectrum. Let's make them do more school because somehow that's a good idea. Exactly. And that somehow there's like an hour by hour comparison. Like if you give kids three more hours of school, they will be three hours smarter. And that's not how learning works. There's a thing about learning readiness. And there's a thing that any teacher can tell you the student that they've had who was years below reading level or years behind in their skills, who suddenly caught up to their peers. And the reason they caught up to their peers was not because they had so much more instruction, but because they were ready at that point. And sometimes that's a developmental thing. And sometimes that's a, this is the first time they've had a relationship with a teacher who they trusted. Mm -hmm. And so much of it for so many kids, and I would say, but particularly for kids with ADHD is about the relationships. And is about, is this a place where I feel comfortable? Is this a place where I feel some agency? I feel like I have some control over what I'm learning. And, or also that I feel like I have enough structure so that I can, you know, so I don't have to figure out everything by myself, right? There's sort of two extremes there. But when you have students in the right environment where they're comfortable, they will make incredible gains. When you have students in an environment that feels punitive to them, in an environment that is holding them back in other ways um, where their other needs aren't being met, kids aren't getting enough, you know, depending on the kid, what they need, if they're not getting enough exercise, if they're not getting connections, then that kid is going to fall behind. And so when we look at it, it's like, we really need to think about what are the supports that we're building in to make school a place where kids can learn rather than what specific content are we making sure that we hammer home in that year. Right. And I think that that's where we really need to think as schools and as parents. I think one of the best examples I've seen of this is a program that was actually designed to help get more minority youth into selective colleges. There's a program called the Posse Program. When they came out, they had a really a model that was really revolutionary at the time because there were a lot of programs that would look for like kids who were in failing schools, maybe, but who were the bright stars in that school and sort of mentor them through. But they found a lot of those students didn't succeed once they got to college. And what was really interesting in the Posse program is that they did interviews with students to just select who was going to be in their group um, of students that they were going to mentor through college. And what they were looking for in the interview wasn't the kid with the highest grades. What they were looking for was what relationship skills did that student have? Because they found that they could take a student who was further behind academically, but a student who was really good at asking for help, a student who was really good at working with other people to you know, to sort of say, hey, I'm, I'm struggling with this, you're struggling with this, hey, can we do a study group or something? And that it was those interpersonal skills that made the difference in a lot of cases between a kid who caught up and got ahead and a kid who didn't. That hits on one of the things that I was really hoping would come out of COVID in terms of the social emotional stuff that I hoped was going to be a shining beacon of light coming out of this. And I don't know that that happened. I, you have a better view of this than I do, but a lot of the talk is about academic stuff. And I, I keep having to say to people, we're living through a global trauma event. Still, you're allowed to be struggling. You're not a bad parent. You're not a bad student. You're not a bad kid. You're not a bad teacher. 
There's a lot of problems with that because schools are not addressing the underlying trauma of everyone, right, at a baseline. And I think we also have a lot of weird notions about what being trauma-informed and, and helping with trauma are. And if you think about it, pre-pandemic, not just schools, but our society does not have enough counselors, right? Does not have enough mental health support for anybody. Um, and then we throw this on top of everything and we're really not ready. But then when we look at it in schools, it's like, we're not even in schools that I've seen so far, we're not even asking questions about who has suffered what kind of trauma this year. We don't know who got sick out of my classes unless they tell me, right? Mm -hmm. um, we don't know, particularly in the time when kids were remote. Right. And when the classroom, if they are gone and absent and sick for a while, you know, we're not asking questions about and self-reporting things. Obviously, there, there are also barriers because we don't ask medical yeah. questions. Right. HIPAA and, and all that and, stuff. Yeah, right. there's a there are boundaries which are absolutely appropriate. But there's also with things that kids want us to know. Right. We're not asking. And there's a double danger there because one, we don't know. But on the other hand, if a kid's in a classroom and they're and they've been going through something and no one else is talking about this they have a feeling that they're the only one. They have a feeling that no one else has suffered anything. And then I see even just in colleague conversations with teachers, we'll get into our professional development when we're checking in with things and no one, it, it's not a default mode for schools to ask, hey, how's everybody doing by the way, right? Mm -hmm. It's not a default mode for, for them to ask, like, are you suffering? Is anyone sick in your family? You know, have you lost someone? Um, and checking in with, hey, what is it like for you working with students right now while, the, while all of this is going on. And I think that I, I think that it has to not be completely cynical about things. I think I think the pandemic has humanized us some. Like I think that there are do tend to be more of those conversations now than there were before. Right. And we do sort of take a minute. And like I said, I think that's one of the nice sides of a crisis is that people do take more time to, with their neighbors, with their friends, with their everybody to sort of check in a little bit more. But we don't really have systems for how do we do that in school and do it well? Even culturally, my parent coaching groups that I run, COVID's kind of a big deal. Like it's having a major impact on parents. And so I talk about it, you know, all the time. And early on, parents are like, why are we talking about COVID so much? And then as we go deeper in, the parents are all bringing it up. And I'm like, because we're living through a global pandemic. That's why, like, that's what's up. We're going to talk about this. And even in the, the current groups, I flipped it on its ear a little bit. And I said to everybody, I was like, listen, you get vaccinated, you tell us and we celebrate it because even that isn't happening enough. Even that's not a big enough deal. I got my second shot two days ago and I'm like, I got my second shot. <laughs> like, Yo! There's a piece of our culture in the United States, at least I imagine other countries as well, right? where it's almost like, well, if you don't talk about it, then it kind of isn't happening and we can pretend that there isn't a global pandemic occurring, which boggles my mind. Well, and it's also when you when you take that to children, kids, when things aren't talked about by the adults and aren't given permission to have these conversations. I, I think kids in particular, it sounds like a weird thing to say, but forget. And I've had one of the things that scares me the most in the interactions I've had with students is that I've had, I've had so many interactions with students where they're apologizing constantly. You know, oh, I'm so sorry that I'm falling behind the word. I don't know why I didn't get that in. It's like, oh, I know I needed to. And they've just internalized and think that, that it's them, right? That, that they're just doing a horrible job right now. And they don't understand why they can't keep working the way that they worked before. 
and they know that schoolwork's important and they know that the teacher is expecting things of them. And when they're not meeting those expectations, if somebody's not contextualizing for them and telling them, like, actually, it's really hard right now, right? And that's what I ended up spending all year in my class. I almost every time I spent a lot of time telling my kids things are hard right now. Um, I know this is hard right now. When students come and ask me about an extension for an assignment or things like that, which first of all, they're mostly not, I'm mostly having to tell them, hey, it looks like you're, it looks like you're having a hard time with this. And then they start with all the apology. Oh, well, yeah, and sometimes just even excuses and things like, because we, we have this default mode where we think everybody's supposed to be able to do everything. Um, we pretend, and it's like I said, one of, another one of those things where it was a problem before the pandemic of this, um, I had a colleague who, who phrased things in such a beautiful way where they, where they say um, that students are playing school. Like we all pretend that we know how to do school, right? It's right. like a, a teacher assigns an assignment on the first day and like, here's this big project. And we all talk about it. Like everybody is really going to meet every single one of those deadlines, which doesn't happen, right? There are some kids <laughs> who do, but on the first day of the project, everyone nods their heads. I'm like, yes, write down these due dates. And that's exactly how it's going to go. And that is not exactly how it's going to go. And then now, especially, it's not how it's going to go. And kids internalize this sense of failure, that they're not keeping up, that they're not doing the things they're supposed to do. And we're not having enough of a conversation about how to do things. And that actually goes back to, to what we were saying about parents trying to help their kids at home. Just seeing all the posts that people had online and all the conversation where people are saying, it's like, I you know, don't know how to do, like parents trying to figure out how to do algebra and how to figure out how to do those things. It's like, that's not what your kid needed you to do. Your kid did not need you to teach them how to do algebra. Your kid needed you to teach them how to ask their teacher for help. Or how to figure it out another way. Like, right. absolutely talk to your teacher. Also, maybe go to Khan Academy. Like, whatever makes sense and works for you, do that. Or how to say, like, I'm really stuck and I don't know how to do this. And your kid needed you to show them, like, how do you deal with frustration? What do you do when you have a really big project? What do you do when you're scared of something? that you have to do where you feel like I, I, maybe I can't do this. How do you handle that in the moment? Cause if going back again to that, like what skills do kids really need? What is the learning that kids really need to have? If you can teach a kid how to self-advocate, if you can teach a kid how to like figure out another way around things, if you can teach a kid, not how to go, you know, cheat and plagiarize things from online, but how to, how to look up other sources to get information for things that are appropriate, right? If you can teach your kid those skills that are really about emotional management, that are about interpersonal skills, that are about also having good boundaries around what is my responsibility and what is someone else's responsibility? Because kids can't see and families can't see what everybody else is doing. So and I, for me, it's like it goes back all the time to this sense of isolation that we have. So as a teacher, I get to see kind of all the kids, but as a parent, I just see my kid. So if my kid is struggling and can't figure this thing out, some parents will say, well, then it must be that this thing, if my kid can't figure out, then it must not be presented well, right? And there are other families that are going, my kid can't figure this out. My kid must just be really bad at this and we're failing and I'm failing and everything, you know, we're never going to make it. And it's just sort of depending on your perspective and where you are, you're going to handle things very differently. I know we've had that happening in my house where I like my kids are living through a global pandemic. I don't know if you're aware of that, but my kids are. Um, oh. And right. <laughs> and so That's they'll struggle. Very and, hard. It is. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and they'll, they'll hit like a day when it's just, 
it's not happening like we would like it to happen or or they're just more sensitive and they're just it's easier to get them upset or whatever's happening in that in that vein and my wife and I'll have conversations because my wife's view is our kids and a lab bench when she goes to work which is not kid oriented so she's like feeling like we're doing something wrong or maybe we're bad parents or all this kind of stuff and I'm like you know that I teach people how to be good parents, right? So the odds that I'm doing it wrong are <laughs> fairly slim. Exactly. But also I've been talking to people, right? Like I'm in conversation with parents all the time and teachers, not all the time, but frequently enough to know that ours are not the only kids that are struggling. Right. And then eventually we get to like, oh, right. Well, this friend of ours has a kid that's struggling in this way. And this other friend of ours has a kid, has two kids that are struggling in this way or whatever the case may be. And then we kind of realize, oh, it's not us. Really, my wife realizes it because I kind of have a big enough view on that. But I think it's important for the parents listening to hear this too, that like, it's, you're not a bad parent. You're not failing at parenting. You're living through an unprecedented time for living memory, right? Yeah. 1918, we had a pandemic too, but everyone who lived through that is dead and can't tell us what to do. So we're back to square one. And I think the converse of that is also really that as a parent, it isn't that you, that you have the wrong skills to help your kid. Right. It's that we all have different skills and we have things that we can teach our kids that are going to help. And if you think about it again, if their real mission is to be a learner and be able to learn, because we know that if we get the conditions right and somebody can be in a mindset where they're ready to learn, they will learn. But if you, if you're so focused on like, they need to get the algebra right now and you're not, and I can't do the algebra, right. Or I can't get them to do that. And they're stuck on this thing versus the, like, I have, pre, I have pretty good people skills and I'm good at picking up the phone and calling somebody and I can model for my kid how they would do that. Or if that's not the skill you have, like I have good research skills, or just even like, I'm really good at knowing when I'm frustrated and getting up and taking a walk. Right. Yeah. I just like, there are so many Things, or I'm really good at like, do, does your child know your personal philosophy about things or your values or your values? Right. And going with that and have you taken time to do that? Cause I think sometimes we get wrapped up in values that are not ours, right? Like, is it really your value that your kid has to do everything perfectly? Is that your value for yourself? And in some cases it is, and maybe you need to re-examine that, but I think other times it's like you might in other parts of your life be better at having a balance in that. You might, if you think about, if you stop and think about it, really value things like having a work-life balance, right? And if you want a kid who's going to grow up to have a work-life balance, then maybe you start now by saying that we're going to decide what enough is. And we're going to talk to you and your teacher and not just, I, I've seen some families that go the route to of just, we're going to refuse to do things. And, and again, I think more online than in my experience talking to families, but where people are just like, we're just going to, we just don't do homework. And if you're just going to make that declaration and just not work with school to, to be like, well, what is the next step of that? And stepping one, I don't know, one or two steps back away from just not doing things. You mentioned like my kid, I can't teach algebra to my kid, right? Like, I don't know how to explain binomial equations to my children. One of the things that drifts through my head when I hear that is if you're a full grown adult and you can't explain binomial equations to your kids, how important in the grand scheme of things are binomial equations, which doesn't mean you shouldn't try to teach them that 
It doesn't mean you shouldn't teach them how to figure it out. It doesn't mean it's not a thing that we should be prioritizing and working on. But it does mean that maybe we don't need to freak out about the fact that we can't teach them how to do binomial equations. Yeah, you want to solve that problem, but we don't want to like let it ruin our day that we can't figure out how to do this. Just also think about like as a human being, when you're struggling with something, one of the most affirming, helpful things that someone can tell you is, wow, that's hard. And we don't tend to do that as a parent. We look at it, we're like, binomial equation. We have an internal freak out. <laughs> like, I don't know how to do binomial equations. And I had a horrible experience with that teacher who was trying to teach me. And we get sort of wrapped up in our own failure narrative and <laughs> worried about that and spiraling with it. And then we can sometimes make really bad choices with how we're talking to our kid about it. We can either tell them like, oh, just do it or you know, whatever, or just read the, read the book right there and sort of, you know, avoid it in that way and just sort of push it onto the kid to like, they should just somehow tough it through, although that doesn't teach, right? Um, or we sort of get mad at the school, right? Oh, well, somebody didn't teach them because I wasn't in control of it. So somebody else must have been, right? Or we sometimes even push our kids to do the wrong thing. We're like, ah, just put down whatever or encourage outright, like, ah, we'll just tell the teacher that you couldn't do it. Like teaching students to go around things, right? Instead of Mm -hmm. going through them and doing them. And it's just, if we think about like, what is the skill that you want your child to have as a person? And what is the value that you want your child to have as a person? And how affirming can it be to tell them, wow, this is really hard. And it's not that I did binomial equations and have the right way to do it, but I do hard things sometimes, right? And when we do hard things as a family, what, what's your line after that? When we do hard things as a family, we get help, right? Never worry alone might be our motto. Or even we can do hard things. Or we can do hard things. Maybe it's really important for a family to have what is our, what is our hard things motto? One of the ones I try to push on my kids is what resources do you have available to you to help you with this? Exactly. And that might be dad, that might be Google, that might be a book on the shelf, or it might be your teacher, probably should be your teacher. Any of those things are also resources that you have. So before, before we have to wrap up, I want to I wanna pivot a little bit Yeah. and do with you the thing that we've mentioned that schools are not always doing so well at, which is just how are you doing? as a mom, as a black woman, as a teacher during this unprecedented time? Yeah. What's really hard for me is, is being at that intersection of all those things, because I can see so many different things that, like I said, people around me are only seeing pieces of, and it's really hard as a teacher because there are some professional lines too. So like I said, I have an extremely diverse classroom which means that I have families that are having all kinds of different experiences and there's my own family's experience, right? And it's really, really hard because everyone's is hard, but everyone's is hard differently. And trying to go from one instance where I have a family who the problem that they're having is that everyone's home and a kid is really isolated and having trouble because they're not near their friends and they're just not acting like themselves. And in that case, you have a parent who is super eager to like, I need them back in school because I know that as soon as they're around their friends again, and as soon as they're seeing people, they're going to be okay. And I can completely empathize with that parent um, or that the kid's home alone working on things, um, but they have all the resource things they need as far as like physical resources. They have a computer and internet works and they've got food and everything's fine that way. But the kid just is struggling with being isolated and struggling with getting work done alone at home. 
at the same time, I'll have families where their context is that family members have lost jobs, they have lost family members. Um, and especially with my older students, I've, um, I teach sophomores and seniors and in both groups of, of kids, I have kids who are working who now their jobs have become a significant part of the family's income or in at least probably 10 different cases I can think of the primary breadwinners of their family. Um, and trying to talk a 16 to 18 year old person through that experience while they're trying to stay in school and finish school. Yeah, because how much does that essay matter in that case? And just about uh, as far as things being unprecedented, there's like the physicality of doing all of that, right? They're balancing all these things and what their schedule is. And then there's the emotional end of it, of this kid who is in a weird way becoming head of the household. And I have kids who are doing that in terms of their parenting their younger kids while their parents are at work. And I have kids who are doing that in terms of, like I said, they're the ones out working every day. And then those students are also frontline workers, right? So until you know, the past month when they were open to vaccines, I had kids who were going out and working really dangerous jobs in terms of COVID. They were wait staff and grocery store workers. And you know that's what young people do for a living and then also trying to do school. I had kids who were coming into Zoom. Uh, lots of kids were coming into Zoom with lots of siblings who they were responsible for. So they're trying to do high school themselves and also monitoring kindergarten or kindergarten through third grade, depending on the family, right? Then I would also have kids who were calling into class on Zoom from the break room at work. And just, I, even though this has been my lived experience for the year, I can't even wrap my head around what that looks like. I don't understand how that worked. Um, and trying to understand the life experiences of all of these different families and also trying to be a good teacher to them all um, and trying to meet them where they are and help them where they are. And then also like I said, with trauma in my own family and deaths in my own family and uncertainty about what was going to happen with my own kids. And then, you know, learning struggles my kids were having with one who was doing great in online learning and one not so great, but always at least I had to fall back on that I'm a teacher and I can at least get, I mean, there was a horrible point where one of my children was failing English. <laughs> I'm like, I'm an English teacher <laughs> and his dad's an English teacher, but you know, it's just, things are, different right now and we could sort of not laugh it off in the sense that we didn't take it seriously but be like wow that's well let's get that back on track with things but but of just having to balance all of these different things and then also with a new sort of national tragedy all the time right always seeming to fall at different points where big things are going on in the school year too. And then when do we talk about that in class? Do we talk about that in class? And when do I try to even process that for myself as an individual? And I think for me, the part of it is just watching families that also had just reopening has been a big thing and a big discussion. And now we're in a hybrid model. We just started going back four days a week in my school for high school. We'll eventually be back to five days a week. Um, and just watching different families try to make the decisions about whether they're coming back to school or not and spending more than the entire year. I spent a significant part of the spring, all the summer and this whole school year in fear of the return to school. Just because families place so much trust in us as teachers and as schools. 
And I just know for myself, and especially with the exhaustion of this year and always feeling on and always trying to help when there's not enough resources to help everyone, right? Um, of just really fearing whether I was going to be able to keep kids safe, especially in Boston, where as a system, I mean, just even looking at it, like the transportation to school for Boston high school students is to take the MBTA, to take public transportation, where there's no distancing. <laughs> and no ability to distance. And so just even trying to imagine it being safe for my students to be back in the classroom. And especially as I was going through the year, listening to different kids tell me that they had COVID, that their family members had COVID and thinking each time if we had been back in school at this point, that would have been a case in my classroom. If we'd been back in school at this point, that would have been a case in my classroom. And those are just the ones who happened to tell me because other students had COVID and I just never knew, right? So that dread has been heavy. I would imagine. It's been heavy. And looking at disparities and just also people, like I said, are so siloed in the society that you just don't see it at all. So I'll be having one conversation with one family about how hard it is for a kid just because he has to do things a little bit more independently right now and doesn't get to see his friends and, you know, the team's back, not back to practicing yet. And, and I am totally there and with them, with that family and can feel how hard it is for that student. And then the next moment be talking to a kid who's lost a parent, um, who's apologizing to me about not getting work done, right? And it's just constantly going back and forth. Even that spread is meaningful, right? Because you had, and I don't know if this is the actual story or not, but, but just the way you shared that was one is the parent talking for the kid about whatever the assignment is that's missing or whatever's going on and whatever the challenges are. And the other one is the kid advocating and talking for the kid about what they're missing. And even that is significant in terms of the lived experience of those individual students. There are just a lot of very stark cultural differences in how people interact with school. And then I think there are just a lot of big differences in how communities have experienced school, you know, based on your own experience. If you've grown up in a place where your community had a lot of control over school, where your community felt really safe and secure, and you had a good relationship with school, then you have a lot of trust in school. And with Boston, just with the economic and racial differences in our community, diversity in our community, which is a wonderful asset, it means that there are families that think, yeah, of course it's safe to go back to school because school's always been safe, right? School's like, of course school can handle it. I'm sure school can handle it. And then you have communities where their needs have never been met, right? Where it's very easy for them to imagine that things are not going to go well um, and that school's not going to have enough for them. and also where there's a feeling where kids have to, at a very early age, be in charge of things. I have families that have, that have just have a lot more privilege in the society who, for them, they definitely view it as a parent's job to take care of a lot of things for their kid for a long time. And we'll view a 16-year-old kid as someone that parents need to have lots of contact with the teacher and parents need to be informed on everything and kept on top of every assignment. And then a lot of times in communities of color and communities that have not had a lot of access, there's a belief that a 16 year old is grown and needs to handle their own business. And I find myself often as a teacher, I'll be in a conference with one family and we're with another and I can completely see their viewpoint, um, but neither one is exactly correct, right? A 16 year old can do a lot of things independently and probably doesn't need mom or dad 
to be in all the communication, looped in in every communication with the teacher. And the mom and dad doesn't need to know how to do the homework. On the other end, a 16-year-old is not a grown adult. And a 16-year-old does sometimes need somebody else who can run interference and, and help them figure out how to navigate things. Um, and in some families, they just don't have the resources for someone to do that. And it's really hard to be a teacher to all communities at once in that way, right? It's really hard to try to do what's right or what's fair or to give help because everyone needs and deserves help. Everyone needs and deserves um, an education that's suited to them. And I think, I just think that we're in a really good place right now to have that challenge of can we, as a society, actually try to look at how do we meet a lot of different needs and how do we sometimes take a step back and say, you know what, maybe I'm not everything that I need right now. It's going to get completely met. And maybe there's a way that we can meet in the middle a little bit, right? And consider like, how do we as an everybody get needs met and let go of some things that might be less important, stop looking at things competitively all the time, right? Like how, does my, how, do, how do I make sure my kid's gonna get ahead? Maybe that doesn't need to be the mindset. Maybe that's not a mindset that's really serving everyone, right? And maybe a mindset of pitting parents and schools against each other isn't serving anyone, right? Maybe there's a way of collaboration that we need to figure out. That's really why I wanted to have you on, right? It was to, to help foster that conversation because the only way that we navigate that is by having that conversation and I thought it was important that this podcast does what its platform can do to get that conversation going a little bit more, because I think it's critical for, for individual parents. It's critical for us as a country and as a world to figure out what to do with that. And I think schools are a perfect place. That's the small miniature of our society, right? Um, it's a place where we're building what our future is going to be. That's our hope. Right. And there aren't really teachers who get into teaching for the wrong reasons, right? People get into teaching because they care about kids and because they really want to help them grow and learn and develop. And there aren't people who are parents who don't care about their children and want what's best for them. So if we have those two groups of people with goals that are that, and we have these buildings that are designed for that, we should be able to work something out. I really think that we need to look at this as our opportunity to say, hey, things broke down for a while and now we've had to try some new things. So what is it from that that we can keep? What is it from that? And not just keep, but because again, we, this, was, this was the pilot. This was the initial test run of some really basic stuff, but maybe look at that as what did we learn from that? And what does that suggest to us that we could do in the future that would be even better? Just being mindful of time. Do you have any ending essentials that you'd like to share with our audience? Yeah, I think the ending essential, again, goes back to this idea of in every moment that we have with our kids, it's a learning experience that we can get positive things from um, and that we need to really not focus on that there's one path and one way forward and one way that we're going to get things, but, but really appreciating and getting what we can from this moment um, and thinking about how we can set our kids up to be good members of society. Hey, you're still here. Nice. Thanks for staying focused all the way through. If you have any thoughts 
or questions about today's episode, feel free to email me at brendan at ADHDessentials.com. And don't forget to check out the website, ADHDessentials.com, and visit our Facebook community. I'm looking forward to talking to you again next week. In the meantime, keep focusing on improvement over perfection. 10% better is all you need.